This is Global Ambitions, your 15-minute window into the minds of localization and international go-to-market experts. Discover how they respond to their biggest challenges. Here's today's host. Hi, everybody. I'm Antoine Way, and I'm with Global Ambitions, and I'll be your host today. We have 15 minutes of localization and go-to-market insights, and the format is short, actionable, and sharp. So today, my guest is Melanie Hegwe from Atlassian. She's a senior team lead for product localization based in Australia. And Melanie, I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm Melanie. I lead product localization at Atlassian. I'm based out of the Sydney office. And I'm basically responsible for ensuring that all of Atlassian's products are internationalized and localized into our supported languages. So my main content that I work with is uh, software localization. Um, and we do have a different department who also looks after everything that's go to market and everything that's buyer experience, buyer journey into the product. But my team looks exclusively, exclusively after the product strings specifically. Perfect. And our topic today, specific topic is going to be around those software strings and how to internationalize uh, your product and why that is important. So can you tell us maybe the first, like what, because a lot of people that get into becoming a localization manager, maybe don't think that they're going to have to deal with engineers and code and software strings there. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about that and what the biggest challenge has been for you at Atlassian? Yeah, definitely. As a localization manager coming into a new company, you know, with the title of localization manager, you kind of walk in thinking, right, okay, I've got to make sure I've got the right vendors to work with, got to look at our quality and how that's all going. But when I entered it last year, I did exactly that. And I took a bit of a step back and thought, oh gosh, before I even go through the gate, we've actually got to make sure that these strings are actually correctly internationalized because we can't actually localize this without these uh, without these being correctly internationalized um, you know even the, the best translators out there uh, if, if they're given the string uh, that hasn't been written in a way it's localized localizable they just can't do a good job so that was definitely something that, that has made me have to take a step back it was also the case uh, with my previous company actually as well one thing i didn't realize when you do work on uh, with, with a product and with software strings is that not only are you working with localization vendors and obviously it's very focused on quality there is a lot of uh, elements of educating the business on internationalization and working with engineers and i did not actually anticipate that so you have to work with the engineers to evangelize internationalization in this case yeah, it's, it's not so much evangelizing localization, internationalization. There is an element of that because you do need to talk about the why, like why should you care before I launch into how you should do it. But honestly, you know, you start out with giving the presentation, you start out talking about how big your international user base is and it's very compelling. That That is quickly, um, you know, accepted and it's, it's very clear that it's important. But actually doing the education has been quite challenging. So everybody confirms that internationalization is important at the company, particularly the leaders, but actually the next step of actually going and making sure that the engineers are, are correctly educated to know, you know, how to write strings in a localizable friendly way um, or localization friendly way is quite challenging, particularly where you've got 
so many different products and so many different engineering teams. And then on top of that, each of the different engineering teams, even within a product, are working with different tech stacks and uh, even different versions of internationalization libraries within the same internationalization library. So, so yeah, there's just all these different facets of education that has to take, take place. After you've demonstrated that it's important, it's, it's actually just very challenging to, to just go so deep with so many different people. But so all of a sudden, then you have like a large, powerful engineering team in an organization like Atlassian, and you have a localization team that comes and tell them, hang on a second, uh, we're going to reject some of your software strings. And uh, how is that accepted or how is that perceived and rece- reception by the engineering team? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because uh, when I first started, uh, I- I'm pretty sure engineers were a bit taken aback when someone approached them and said hey can you actually just rewrite this string i can't i can't localize it there's a bit of a you know who are you sorry (laughs) but but honestly i i've I've only found that engineers have been really respectful and gone back and rewritten strings when i've asked them to do so Um, and you know every engineer wants to do things uh, the right way they don't like to be told they've done something the wrong way so I've, i've i've only been met with acceptance and helpfulness as well and as time has gone on, I've met with um, engineering team leads and made sure that they're aware of the initiative that we're trying to do with education. They do understand the importance of internationalization and have been very accepting of that and uh, supportive. And so we haven't really had too many problems with um, convincing engineers to, to do our, to read our education, our, our self-service guidelines, and also to rewrite strings where needed for localization purposes. And so how does that work? In this case, you go to engineers directly or you go to their management, you go and Mm -hmm. speak at events, like what are the the main steps to kind of put that process in place, I guess, because worldwide, it has to be like quite of a, a challenge or is that your biggest challenge, I suppose, in that space? It is quite challenging. There are different ways to do it. You can actually, I guess, stop the string from going into your TMS and actually, you know, working in the the Git repos um, directly and talking to engineers, rejecting pull requests. What we do is, though, rather than working in Git and approving or rejecting pull requests, we actually look at each string in our TMS and we actually exclude strings that need to be rewritten. There is a bit of a manual element at the moment that we're actually looking to automate where we then look at the key of the string and we identify the engineer who wrote it based on, you know, uh, Git history. So we, we go into Bitbucket and we take a look and uh, and then we reach out to them. We have different stakeholder channels that we uh, interact with the, the developers for different products. So say, for example, for Trello, we'll, we'll identify a key that can't be localized We'll go. Uh, we'll go to the Trello channel and we'll we'll call out. We can't re- we can't localize this string. We need you to rewrite it. Or we can individually approach the the developer as well. But generally speaking, developers respond. They're very responsive and they end up correcting their uh, their string and, and resubmitting the string via a pull request. And then it goes back into our TMS for localization. And that might be for a different session there. But do you also reach out to the management and and even senior executives? to make this a priority or how does that work? We don't usually have to unless um, there's repeat issues going on or it's becoming a blocker for us. Like, for example, if someone hasn't rewritten a string for an urgent release that's coming up and we really need that string, obviously, to, to localize it and get it out in time for the release or, you know, there's a you know repeat issue. So say, for example, 
we, we have had a, an instance where we've been trying to mandate ICU message format for pluralization mm. and certain teams were continuing to use a different format, choice format in this particular case, which wasn't localization friendly. So time after time, we were going back with the same feedback, kind of like a broken record. And uh, I did get to a point where we decided to, to meet with leadership and say, okay, we need to actually roll this out. We need you on board. Also, what's the blockers? Are there, is there anything from your end that, that might impact this? And th that has been quite successful as well. And like, since you work in the TMS, do you actually involve the vendors that you work with in identifying the strings that you need to reject? Or this is your team who does that? Our team primarily does that. So they do the first pass where they, they read every single string before sending it to the vendors. But as you know, things fall through the cracks or sometimes when we're looking at things, we think, yeah, that mm. looks pretty straightforward. But the vendors actually, well, the translators, because they're looking so closely at the string, each individual string will come back usually and pick up things that have fallen through the cracks. So it's right. a bit of both, but primarily it's our team. And so to go into a very practical aspect for our listeners there, what are some of the mistakes maybe that you've come through uh, that you would advise to avoid? What would be the impact of those? Yeah, I guess <laughs> I think walking into the company uh, and in just in general, you kind of want to boil the ocean. You want to do everything at once. Sometimes it's it's good to to just sit down and go, okay, these are the, you know, Proof of concept first, let's start with a small project and see how this goes and then demonstrate that that's what you're trying to achieve and that's what you've achieved. That and, and also, I guess, in the theme of not boiling the ocean, one good piece of advice that I got from uh, Gary Lefman, actually, internationalization engineer at Cisco, when we were at a local, uh, sorry, a local world conference once, uh, had lunch with him, just started chatting, and he talked about the concept of separation of concerns which is an engineering concept uh, where you break down an issue into different parts, smaller chunks essentially to deal with. And I realized that I needed to do that with, with the internationalization issues that we were facing because I, I was kind of approaching it from the, this, 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 it was just too many things or, and everything just looked very messy. By separating it and tackling each problem one at a time, uh, I, had, I had better luck for sure. That'd be very useful, I think, for everyone to uh, take some uh, guidance on. And and on the opposite side, then on the flip side, like what about successes, the things that you've done, like maybe that separation of tasks there, but I'm sure there are other things that you might have done that have been successful with the engineering team into localizing your product then. Yeah, I think it was really, really working closely with the engineers, both finding who my allies were, people who were very clearly interested in internationalization, but also talking to the people who were frustrated with internationalization. So when I first came in, I noticed there were a number of people who were just frustrated and almost saw internationalization as a bottleneck. And I met with them, I sat down, I asked them to explain their experience and what issues they were having. And through that, I was able to understand where we need to improve the process uh, because obviously you need to have buy-in from engineers and they need to understand what the reason is for doing something in the first place. And once I was able to understand that, I was able to go back and then explain what we were trying to achieve and how we could do it together. Uh, and that really helped. And then also through that, I was able to build allies because ultimately you, you form a good relationship with that engineer. They also help explain mm. engineering things to you that could be quite challenging as a non-engineer to understand. And it's a great partnership. And if you do that with all the different products that you're working on or different um, engineer, engineering teams, you find, yeah, you've kind of built yourself a, an internationalization task force uh, group within 
the business and, and it makes it easier to to evangelize, but also to when you write guidelines to kind of put on your engineer hat, even run your guidelines past engineers and ask them if it makes sense or perhaps if you've got something wrong. It's, it's been very useful for sure. Maybe not the right time to bring those uh, accepted software strings into their OKRs yet or rejected software strings <laughs> into their OKRs. <laughs> Some not idea for quite, later, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not okay. quite yet. I think that might scare them away. <laughs> so once once you get into a place where it's working and it's flowing, then there's some successes that you've noticed as well. Like how does that impact localization, I guess? Yeah, it definitely I think one of the number ones way we've we've seen a success is the reduction of translator queries because strings haven't need to be re- rewritten or, you know, strings have had enough context, uh, even just through translator notes descriptions in in the source file that the engineers provide that they've actually not had to ask so many questions so that's been a, a great way quality has definitely improved as well because of context and also not having to work with strings that are concatenated together or you know making do with a string that wasn't really written for localization that's actually improved our quality as well very good, very good. Well, thanks very much for those uh, insights, Melanie. I think this is like very practical, actionable information that our listeners would be looking uh, to apply in their own company in that case. Can I ask you then, we ask all of our guests, can you suggest someone to join our podcast next time as a guest as well that you feel the audience might benefit from? Yeah, I'd love to recommend someone and I, I would probably recommend my counterpart in go-to-market uh, localization at Atlassian, uh, Christina Trevino. She, uh, she, I think she would be quite interested in, in talking on this uh, podcast as well. I'd say she's quite passionate about this and that's great because we do have a track about go-to-market or international go-to-market. So certainly we'll follow through on that. Well, listen, thanks very much for your contribution today. This is great and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Global Ambitions. Subscribe at globalambitions.net or wherever you get your podcasts.